Hi, good evening or good morning and welcome to Podcasting is Praxis, a collective podcast coming to you from the depths of the online communities of the world. Uh, my name is Rob. I will be your podcast daddy for today. And with me are my four children. Oh, God. Oh, no. Hi, I'm so, Alistair. I'm apparently... Um, Rob is my dad now. Uh, this is this quite a revelation today. A lot, a lot has happened in the last few weeks, but this is probably one of the least expected. Hi, I'm Original James. Uh, <laughs> I apparently am also the son of Rob. I'm Jamie. Um, I've been on the podcast far too much lately, but that's because Twitter banned me and I've got nothing to occupy my free time. <laughs> your, sacrifice, your sacrifice for the cause has been noted. Yeah. Yes, so, someone else will pick up your moist in the gun and run into the firing line. It's <laughs> uh, so, someone me, will pick up. be me with a fake moustache on. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have a podcast baby on today. Making his first appearance is... Uh, my name's Andrew. I'm the, the guest data scientist, and I'll be honest, I think it's highly improbable that you're actually my dad. What's the uh, statistical chance of that, do you think? Um, well, unless you have a prior belief on uh, how many sort of men my mother slept with, I'm going to say it's about <laughs> one, one in five million. Uh, I was I was going to go with about sixty nine percent, but there we are. All right, so this inter- this whole podcast is now about how many uh, men Andrew's mother has been with. It's a change of topic, but you know we looked exploring forward to exploring that in depth. <laughs> Only the most important topics on podcasting is praxis. <laughs> no, but uh, we are actually recording this right after the Channel Four um, climate debate special. Uh, stop recording and I gotta say straight off the bat that was by far the best debate uh, televised whatever of this election season I don't know what you guys thought yeah uh, I I pretty much 100% agree with that for a start there wasn't an audience and uh, Christian Guru Murthy like I mean I'd probably as as like a journalist I'd probably give him a probably about a 7 or an 8 out of 10 based like on actual journalist credentials um but he moderated it quite well um the ice statues representing boris johnson and nigel farage were were pretty funny that was so good that was amazing when i first saw that being mentioned earlier today i'm sort of this has got to be fake this can't be real and i'm so glad it was (laughs) i mean i don't i don't think it's a it's a huge game changer to be fair but i it's i mean it's obviously a good thing because um i, I uh, in 2017 when theresa may was uh you know dodging debates like although the you know the the media class didn't didn't really give much of a shit because they're all you know they're all fucking tories but um you know the mem- members of the members strong of the- and stable <laughs> in- indeed uh members of the public definitely noticed and um uh, definitely had an effect to say the least I think it's definitely yeah. better that they, like, rather than let them send Gove as a replacement, they just told them to get fucked. Or Boris Johnson's fucking dad. Can yeah, play- that was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah for- so they, they, they just, they basically got whoever they could fucking find in the office to, to go and see if they could go in, uh, in Boris Johnson's stead. So it was Michael Gove or Stanley Johnson. Can you, <laughs> could you, could you fucking imagine like, oh, I don't feel like coming into work today. I'm sending my dad instead. 
I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I reckon my dad could to be to be fair I, in in a remote way, but at least to to Stanley Johnson. I mean, obviously, the whole thing of sending you know uh, the the honourable member from Innsmouth is is a joke in the first place. But <laughs> Stanley Johnson at least has serious environmental chops and has a history of like he does actually genuinely care about the environment. Like weirdly enough, I've talked to him and he's not a bad guy and he does genuinely care. I mean, he's still not the leader of the Conservative Party, so fuck that noise, but still. I mean, yeah, I, think, okay. I think Stanley Johnson would probably be much easier to trick into being racist on air. <laughs> uh, uh, the, th- uh, the thing about sending, like, it's just such a, like, you know, public schoolboy thing to do. It's just, oh, I'll try and get your dad to sort it out for you. Like, again, it, he, uh, yeah, fair enough, he might have, you know, uh, green credentials, but again, it was a leader's debate. And he's not the Prime Minister or the leader of the Conservative Party or a Tory MP. I mean, I've seen... No, I've no, seen, no, no, no. Completely, you're completely right. I've seen people describe Michael Gove as having green credentials. And, I mean, surely he's in favour of climate change because it means Atlantis will, like, finally reclaim the Earth. <laughs> so, it's the, the, it's the punishment Gove, we all deserve. I, I think the big difference is that you've got to remember that Stanley Johnson has far more uh, grandchildren than he might even know so he's probably got a, a vested interest in the future of the planet in the way that michael gove doesn't yeah no i mean <laughs> michael gove <laughs> michael gove didn't do like the worst job at defra like there's a whole uh you know liz truss is still by far way worse and as was owen patterson but like you know, that's not a record to be proud of or anything in that. I was going to say, wasn't isn't that mostly a case of um, merely not fucking things up as much as the last guy? I mean, yeah, ben, my understanding ben. is that he kind of does want to do a good job of what he's doing, just with everything else they've put him in. He has really, really terrible views, but he actually isn't so bad on the environment. So he did a mediocrely competent job of it instead. All right, yeah. but let's, yeah. let's not go fucking nuts because better than Liz Truss isn't much of a yeah. yardstick, is it? No. Oh, no, it's still, uh, it's no. And like, I mean, to, to, to get back to the climate debate, I think one of the reasons is you can really see, you know, how much does the Tory party care about climate and the environment? And then you just have to look at who they, yeah. like what they've done with DEFRA and who they put in charge of it. And then like, you can really I- clearly see that these people don't, care whatsoever they really uh, don't well if they did they would have sent fucking boris johnson to the debate uh, which yeah. on the on the flip side like um i mean everyone else was sort of fine corbyn good like he um clearly knew his stuff and being you know like a vegetarian and all of his um what's it like his allotment and everything um yeah. definitely came in his favor and even though, because usually in this kind of debate, you know, when you've got, you know, one of the one of the major leaders of a party, Labour or the Tories, versus a bunch of other people, the larger party leader gets, yeah, gets you know, just, yeah, just gets completely, absolutely ganged up on by everyone else. But um, his credentials are so are such that he could pretty effectively just sort of be like look this is our manifesto this is how we're going to deal with this and the other parties it really did feel like they didn't have much to catch him out on like yeah they were they were left playing catch-up essentially yeah uh, i think i think one of the uh probably best examples of that was um sean berry leader of the greens is talking about how um oh yes if the greens are in power they would put all these taxes on 
meat and dairy, which on the face of it is like, you know, you've got to cut down meat and dairy. So taxing it more means that would, people would be consuming less of it. But at the same time, that is absolutely bullshit because you are doing exactly what uh, France did with the fuel duty, which is passing the cost of decarbonization onto the working class. Yeah. And also uh, it, it probably wouldn't work because, I mean, much to... Uh, you know, everyone's favourite Lib Dem, Polly McKenzie's eternal shame, but people have just found out that the uh, the plastic bag tax has actually made the yeah. result of there being yeah. more plastic dumped. Because oh, yeah. people, people just pay the 10 pence and, and use the bags just as disposably as before. Are you suggesting yeah. that market-based solutions to large problems don't always work? Well, that that's just... Groundbreaking yeah, like this type stuff. of heresy we can't allow on the podcast. <laughs> I am, I am suggesting that, but I would, I would probably phrase it as just you know horse shit, quite frankly. Well, let's let's put it this way: any policy that starts with one weird trick probably isn't going to do a very good job. <laughs> but I mean, what I will say in in Sean Berry's uh, favour, because there was a question towards the end about um, you know how do you in your personal life want to be more green, and like quite honestly. That's not a bad question, but it's also like a terrible one because yeah. the systemic stuff that's needed on climate mm-hmm. change cannot come from the individual. I mean, yeah. we talked about this quite a lot on our yeah. cli- climate special, episode eight. Don't forget to listen. Um, but the, the important point is that like the systemic stuff we have to do is not like, yes, you should have efficient light bulbs and stuff, but the big stuff can only be done by the nation state. Um, be be and- the change you want to see in the world. Build your own guillotine and um, take it to the people, <laughs> the top, the top ten uh, percent of. Although we are technically part of the top ten percent of people, but um, yes, we are. Let's, uh, I'll take it back. <laughs> um, and I thought uh, Nicola Sturgeon also, to her credit, you know, I thought she did make a very good point when she said, "Look, Scotland's obviously got oil and gas." Um, we're willing to transition away from that and we should, but like we have to not screw over the workers while we do it. And I do think, you know, we were just talking about the Gilets Jaunes in France. That's a really important point. Like this cannot, the green economy cannot come expense at the end, expense of, of people who are working, you know, who are doing the day-to-day work in the oil and gas industry. In certain communities, you really don't have much of a choice. You know, like around Aberdeen, there's so much oil and gas. Like what are you going to mm. do? Just let them all, screw them all over? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like I mean, if you did do that, it'd be exactly the same as when they, you know, when Margaret Thatcher th- threw all the coal miners down into the pits. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the final question I do really want to ask is, what happened to the squirrels? <laughs> well, um, what's her face? Joe Swinson said uh, that her her five year old nephew or niece, I think it was, has never seen a hedgehog. Well, clearly the squirrels have been talking. <laughs> uh, all the squirrels are clearly in the kills wallet. Where else would they be? <laughs> Looking forward hey. to Joel Swinson's gritty reboot of the Tufty Club. <laughs> oh God! Ah, <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, it's incredible that the the po- just posting as this like intangible thing has manifested itself in two very distinct ways. First of all, Joe Swinson and her her alleged psychopathic hatred of uh, small uh, small grey and red squirrels, and also uh, Mike Gates is now uh, missing for several days. Campaign man- manager Mr. Stephen Miller. Oh wait, no, Richard Miller. Sorry, Stephen Miller is a white nationalist. Um, 
And the fact that Mike Gaves was on um, being interviewed and um, said that he's aware of this man pretending to be his campaign manager and he's asked, <laughs> he's asked Twitter to take it down and they've said no. And then at the same time, they've showed um, one of uh, Richard, Mr. Richard Miller's tweets, which had the hashtag gape for victory in it. And it's just great Wait, that that what? hashtag. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> seriously. They that hashtag that was a good slogan. No, no. Uh, this guy is like. Um, I think he might be part of the Trevor Bastard extended universe, but oh, uh, I'm okay. not 100 percent on that. But um, yeah, <laughs> this guy pretended to be Mike Gapes' campaign manager's fake slogan of "Gape for Victory" <laughs> was broadcast so on t- on t. I think it was on TV as well, uh, but I saw it on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> just next to Mike Gapes, <laughs> just like oh, I'm, a, I'm a huge, I'm so glad a huge advocate of this being the first shit posting election. It's, Absolutely, um, I'm. It, oh, God, I think yeah. it's it's tremendous that. You know, if if the Tories and the papers and the the BBC and everyone else are just gonna like say whatever they want and there's no consequences to making shit up, then I, I fully applaud everyone just crowdsourcing horse shit and throwing it at people because it watching really is. watching everyone like just panic when they realise there's yeah. there's no real recourse if someone if someone started a rumour that Joe Swinson murders squirrels, then you know there's nothing you can do about that because welcome to the future everything's true if it appears on the internet. It really, really is uh, an example of how for, even he is a fucking terrible website. Twitter is somehow this great equalizer. It's really weird. Yeah, as much as as much as like Jack and everyone else at Twitter doesn't want it to be, they're always trialing new solutions to 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 stop people from being mean to the blue ticks. Yeah. <laughs> the day they succeed and blue tick people are allowed to like tweet shit without being abused is the day everyone just leaves and. Moves oh god, yeah. Some, no, some I'm not, if, I, if I can't scream at John Rantoul, I'm not staying. <laughs> we, we've already had a, a victim uh, of capitalism, though, in in terms of this sort of thing. Several, in fact. Poor, poor Lord Buckethead, uh, where apparently the original character Lord Buckethead was uh, invented by some random American guy about thirty years ago, and had forgotten about him. Discovered that he'd been popularized. Uh, you know, by the satirical standing of elections in the UK, uh, and he he basically sued the guy, um, yeah. and and now Lord Bucket he's trying to like license Lord Buckethead uh, as, <laughs> as, a, as a satirical oh, election oh character, um, uh, which is oh, which is just really will just consume everything. It, it, oh it, my god! Can you just <laughs> you couldn't miss the point more, could you? Really. Just, yeah. just the, the rent seeking for a joke, like oh, just mwah, that is that is just <laughs> beautiful in how awful it is. Yeah. Speaking of things that were absolutely awful and fucked up, um, apparently Boris Johnson doesn't need to do the O'Neill interview. Oh, have you have you heard um, that he doesn't have to have an interview with uh, Andrew Neil? He ha- he's going to they're trying to float him having an interview with interview with Andrew Marr on Sunday, who, who is famous oh. for holding Marine Le Pen to such account, of course. Yeah. Why don't abs- you just get Laura Koonsberg to do it then? Because that's just easier. Like the BBC is meant to is meant to be impartial and i know i know no there's no such thing as actual impartiality but it's just fucking egregious 
Are you saying that a fireside chat between Andrew Marr and Laura Koonsberg, where Andrew Marr asks Laura what her favourite Boris Johnson moments are, won't expose the political issues the electorate really need to hear about? Oddly enough, no, I don't think it would. Huh. <laughs> I might be wrong. No, that, no, you can't be right. Surely that can't be right. No, but I mean, it has genuinely speaking, and uh, you know, I think probably the average person who works at the BBC is not in favour of this type of policy because, and like, I really don't want to get in too much into sort of conspiracy theories, but I think this week there has been a number of occasions where really it, it has just been so blatant and so overt that everything the Tories do that is bordering on a scandal is covered but then dumped in five minutes and everything that the Labour Party does that is a slight fuck-up is presented as the worst thing in the world and something we need to talk about for, for 24 hours. And it's really difficult to, to sort of, you know, like we really don't want to become the people who, you know, who say, oh, you can't trust the mainstream media but it, this week is making it quite hard not to do, not to be like that. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not paranoia if they are actually out to get you. I mean, <laughs> just, yeah. just, just look at all, you know, uh, you know, all the mistakes that the BBC seem to be been, seem to have made with regards to um, conservative MPs and conser- and the conservative uh, election campaign. Weirdly enough, it always seems to be an error in their favour. It's it weird how that be, keeps happening. It always seems to be an incredibly tidy mistake as well that fits perfectly into the editing, you know? Yeah. For, so, I mean, for some, uh, <laughs> for some reason, we, we just we just keep capturing this these absolutely incredible shots of Boris Johnson. Some, for some reason, looking like he's six foot eight tall and like a golden Adonis of a man. I don't know how we keep getting these pictures on onto the onto the screens in front of everyone. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I found was sort of quite egregious in a way was uh, in the afternoon after um, Jeremy Corbyn released the uh, the UK-US trade talk documents where they talk about the NHS, and we'll get into that later this episode. Um, but that, like, right after that, at the BBC two hours later also made time on its Twitter to, like, do a nice little, uh, you know, Boris Johnson the man clip of him talking about whether or not he should jam on muffins first and it was just like are you kidding me you know can you is this just damage control because like i've never seen the bbc clip of i don't know corbyn in his allotment or you know joe squirrel joe simpson with with a shotgun (laughs) joe squirrel i'd actually love to see uh, corbyn in his allotment i'd love to uh... see corbyn in his allotment there's a, there are um, he gets like um, hounded by various uh, you know paparazzo paparazzos yeah um, at his allotment like trying to you know make it look like he's doing something really like horrendous like there was <laughs> it's just like oh look at this look at this man in his tracksuit dealing with stuff on his allotment yeah okay like r- cool right <laughs> yeah. It's very right. nice. Like, like my, my father-in-law does that every weekend, and he's a lovely man. And I, you know, why not? While we're um, while we're on the subject of the BBC being like out and out shit, um, did we all see the thing where they were posting stuff on? Was it Facebook Stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw and this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, just yeah, before yeah. the you know, in the run-up to the deadline for registrant to vote, they were posting like you know, like dank memes about how yeah. politics yeah, is so like, boring and you shouldn't bother. And 
Yeah, man, politics is boring. Don't know why you'd want to vote. What Can you tell us some things that you think are more important than voting? And it's like, dude, for real, the beat, like... Is this not like what the BBC is actually for, which is to, you know, encourage people to vote? Because that is technically an apolitical thing to be doing because you should be wanting, you know, as a as an institution that wants to educate and entertain, educate people of the importance of the vote. Maybe there's just too much democracy. They're just acting as a safety valve. Against the threat of like a, an overpressurized democracy, where we just get too many voters engaged, and oh, you know the system can't handle it. There's too much democracy. I've got a goddamn headache because of all this democracy everywhere. Please, won't someone do something about all this abundance of democracy? And obviously, well, obviously, we, we we don't know who at the BBC was responsible, but it, we'll just blame Laura Koonsberg. Um, it was probably her doing that deliberately. I think because it's always it's always someone pointed out that if you if you watch the the Twitter accounts there's the um, BBC breaking news is always more neutral because that's run by someone in the news department and then the BBC politics account is directly run by Koonsberg so it's always more anti-labor and, and pro-Tory. I think um, what's most interesting is uh, Rob Burley who um, uh, is, is that the guy, one of the is that the guy that keeps Booking like national front members to be in the question time audience. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's him, pretty <laughs> yeah. much. But basically, he likes to do this thing where he uh, he quote tweets some like no one with like fifty followers to like rebuke their um, you know allegation of your uh, you know your picking out all these pe- these right wing fucks for question time audiences. But um, it's weird how um, when everyone said why the fuck aren't you interviewing. Um, Boris Johnson, or why isn't Andrew Neil interviewing Boris Johnson? For some reason, he doesn't seem to have any rebuttals to that. Weird, weird how that happens, isn't it? Very odd, very odd. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Have, have any of you guys actually tried to get on the Question Time audience before? No, I can't I, say I, I have. I've done um, before now, so Michael Michael has been on. Um, yeah, been on Question on Time a few weeks ago. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew, did you say I, you were on? Sorry, no, I, I, I will. I applied to go on and I was invited to go on, but it unfortunately was a weekend I was away. But I guess the bigger point being is that the Question Time audience, for one, is super self-selecting and they, uh-huh. ask, and they yeah. ask you a bunch of questions, right? So the idea, you know, and, and the fact that they even try and portray it as some kind of representative sample of the British public is just complete nonsense because for one the applicants aren't on the whole you know it's no surprise it's all activists and councillors because those are the people who are interested in yeah. politics at a local level yeah um and, no, they're and the, all they're all weirdos like us essentially so, <laughs> well, well exactly uh, so it's it's bad enough at that stage and then there's a, an additional layer of selection with no transparency um that they tell us nothing about and you just like you maybe you get a phone call saying hey you were selected uh, I remember yeah. seeing something recently that you're not supposed to ask to go on again if you've been on in the last 10 years. And yet somehow the same person has been on asking anti-Corbyn questions four times in the recent history. No, he, he was the presenter. <laughs> no, I don't mean the presenter. I mean the guy in the white shirt. Oh yeah, there was that. It was one guy, wasn't it? Um, who um, 
Turns out it's a Tory activist. It's always Uh, one guy who comes up. Every so often they'll just go, oh, look, someone someone will go on question time on a Thursday night and they'll... They'll ask the labor person, the, the labor representative there, why they don't support like you know sending everyone back and like nuking all the forums, and there'll be a big outcry, and then it'll transpire that the guy has been on Question Time like eight times in the past <laughs> six years, and also like was at one time like leader of the BNP or something like that. You know what I mean? It just yeah. it it keeps happening that they they just keep getting these like absolute fascist like dipshits on there repeatedly until like someone notices and then they just vanish and, and another guy takes their place we are we are veering wildly into like bbc conspiracy territory but we wouldn't have to do that if the bbc would fucking behave themselves yeah no that's very true yeah that's pretty a much. very good point um no because i do want to go back to, you know onto the 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 actual conspiracy of the week um which <laughs> the actual is, conspiracy <laughs> which is of course the lizard people um no damn we did prince andrew um <laughs> no i want to do want to talk a bit about the the documents that uh corbyn and the labor party released about the trade deal uh, trade negotiations between the us and the uk the preliminary talks Ah uh, yes, um, he brought receipts. He did bring receipts this <laughs> Again. time. Again. <laughs> Again. Yeah, he keeps doing also, that. Important also to note that like these receipts have been out for a month and like the guy who was leaking them apparently offered them to seven or eight fairly high standard journalists, like we don't know who, but like apparently a good number of them, and none of them bit on this, which is insane, because like in any other context, if you get four hundred pages of unredacted memos about a trade deal, like you publish yeah. that. Like there are stories there. You know, this, that's no joke. That's a serious um, journalistic scoop. Just, just to point one thing out there. I, I mean, I, obviously, I don't have it in front of me, but the journalists he sent it to wasn't a secret because he just he tweeted it and he just yeah, he tweeted at him. Oh, yeah. sorry, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, he, he tweeted him at John McDonnell as well, which is uh, presumably how they presumably may have found John out McDonald about it. From yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I think it was really funny. Like, I sorry going back to the BBC again, but like you know, Laura Koonsberg said, "Oh, these have been out for a month. Oops, are bad." Like, dude, come well, on, <laughs> this is your job. Even you, some <laughs> yeah. of them even use that as an excuse. It's like, I could have had these a month ago. I'm like, you had these a month ago. Like, what? You were what? You were what were you covering in the meantime? Like, what, what other emergency did you have going on in your life? Look, oh, it just it brings me back to the same question that I always ask myself: Is what are you for? <laughs> yeah. What is the point of you when the fucking Labour Party is doing more incisive, investigative fucking journalism than the fucking media? <laughs> yeah. I mean, some important exceptions there, but I, I, I do agree. Um, but like getting into to these documents, uh, so two things before we get into the details. First, we have to be a bit fair and say these are not trade negotiation documents because the UK cannot negotiate with the US until and after or whether, etc. cetera, uh, Brexit, when you've left. Um, so these are what are called scoping documents. Uh, this is essentially where... Uh, the two parties get together and define the scope of what is possible to even talk about. Actually, I, um, think, so- I think the technical term is banter. <laughs> <laughs> just a bit, just a bit of a you know back and forth. Uh, see, how, see how things going. Oh, we'll give you a load of money if uh, you uh, privatize the NHS. It's like, 
shit, we really need that. <laughs> oh, what, yeah. what a good one got us. And and so the most for me the most important thing that because it this is one of these weird like jazz things. This is like <laughs> important policy that you don't hear. Like the notes that you don't hear are the ones that matter. Um, it, the U.S. essentially, I I worked about occasionally on trade negotiations through my job um and the u.s essentially works on the basis most trade deals do on what is called everything is included unless it is specifically and expressly excluded so like Hmm. when the u.s and the eu were negotiating their trade deal the eu always said farming is not up for grabs like we're simply if you want to talk farming we're not even going to listen so Hmm. it's that kind of stuff and the most important thing you find in these documents is that there is no statement in these documents, which in these are talks that have been going on for more than two years now, where anywhere during this point, Syria, the, the UK negotiators or Liam Fox, who fucking hell was in charge of this, <laughs> was a moron, by the way. Disgraced um, former Defence Secretary Liam Fox, please oh, sorry, make, sure to use, make sure to use his full title. <laughs> um, but the important thing is, is at nowhere in these notes do they say yes, we are willing to discuss everything except the NHS and the services and, and providers. Like, that's not in these documents. So, like, you, you, that does not mean by definition that it is proof that they do want to trade off the NHS. But if, as the Tories keep insisting, oh, it's not for sale, they could have said that anywhere in two years and they haven't. I think that's hmm. quite an important point. I think the other, the, in fact, it's even more so, um, you know, sort of, indicative of how much they are aware that the NHS is very much up for grabs is because they have uh, at some point in the document they explicitly say not to use the phrase NHS too many times because of how much that if they are talking about the NHS specifically how much that just gives the appearance that they're talking about fucking the NHS basically yeah. So and that's it, why that's why when you know you've got people like fucking Jim Pickard on uh, Twitter saying, "Oh well, they only specifically mentioned the NHS twice, so I don't see how uh, yeah, how yeah, that yeah. could how that could yeah, end up with the NHS being sold off." It's like there's mate, countless pages <sighs> of them talking about health and drugs and and all that sort of stuff, but they don't actually use the phrase national health service. So you know, who's to say whether it's good or bad? Has he yeah. tried doing? Has he tried doing a control F for like national health service in case they're being sneaky? See, yeah, yeah, yeah. And- it's the UK. Health means the NHS in the UK. If you're talking about health, you are talking about the NHS. There is pretty much no exception to that, and I think most people realise that. Well, and this yeah. is this is a lot like PFI, right? PFI essentially gave us a lease back service on on the infrastructure, on the buildings and things, which turned out to be, surprise, surprise, horrendous value. <laughs> you know, we're, we're now talking about essentially, you know, they'll do it by stealth. It's a lease back service on the provision of services. You know, it's, yeah, already, yeah, exactly. it's already being done on small scales by, you know, companies like Virgin. Um, I'm, I'm slightly surprised that Richard Branson hasn't been showing his furry face around uh, these kind of talks, but you know, it, people. You know, people need to be aware. And uh, you know, if if you're a canvasser for the Labour Party, or indeed just the Labour Party in general, we we need better ways of explaining in simple terms to people how dangerous these what are ostensibly small changes are. Yeah. Because the, because the, it's it's the roots, right? It gets in at the roots. 
It's death death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? It's death by a thousand cuts. And it's never, I mean, the Tories immediately put out this press release saying, blah, blah, it's not true. But you have to be like, you have to look at their wording because what they quite use a lot is saying like, yes, you know, free at the point of use. Yeah, yeah, that's the big one. And primary care will not be affected. But that's like, that's really insidious because what that means is like the NHS, the stuff that most people see is obviously you know, free at the point of use and the primary care and the doctors, but there's a whole, the NHS is one of the biggest government organizations on, in, on, on the planet, I think. Um, so there's it's a the tremendous biggest employer. Amount, <laughs> yeah, it's the biggest employer. So there's a tremendous amount of back office, um, HR, uh, uh, drug negotiation. We'll get into that in specific in a little bit. But like there's all these other bits that are not your doctor, but that enable your doctor to function. So if they only say primary care isn't affected, they mean your doctor. What they don't say is like, yeah, but like we'll put up the entire administration out for competitive contracting um, to US firms and that kind of stuff. And then they overcharge and then the NHS gets too expensive. And that will allow the Tories in five years to say, look at how expensive the NHS has become. We got to privatize more because otherwise it's unsustainable. Well, it's so Reagan. it's this salami slice approach of little bit of privatization here, little bit of privatization there. You don't really care about whether or not car parks cost money, right? And then all of a sudden, five years down the line, the whole thing has changed completely. Well, it's, uh, it's uh, Ronald Reagan's modus operandi, isn't it? Starve the beast. You cut and cut and cut and they say, oh, this is unsustainable. And then, well, you know, yeah, it's, sell it off. Yeah, it's, it's, it's essentially that. It's a bit more like, I think the, the, the Reagan thing was extremely crude. This is a bit more subtle in a way well, because it has in to be, trade negotiation what you say and like this is also quite important about trade negotiations in general is what people always think about it's like it's about tariffs right like i don't know uh, uh the u.s forces uk manufacturers to pay 10 percent tax on i don't know some kind of widget and vice versa like because of the wto in the last 20 years of globalization hard tariff barriers especially in in like the western economies they still exist but they don't matter nearly as much as like standards and alignment of that kind of stuff um so something like chlorinated chicken which is the famous example has nothing to do with tariffs it's about how you treat food yeah that's uh it's part of why the the nhs the u.s is so gung-ho for um no deal because it means that we're pretty much going to break away from our european european union uh standards like uh which i mean uh just just as a crystallized example um the the u.s regards health labels as um bad for your health (laughs) because it means you're less likely to buy stuff because it's got loads of fat and sugar in it yeah, and and um, there is actually a specific, a, 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 a specific and literal mention of this uh, in all the Australia's documents, is that the U.S. negotiators clearly say, and like they are right in this, is that as long as there's a um, a big trade deal with the EU or you stay in the customs union or whatever, you cannot do a deal with the U.S. at the same time because the U.K. essentially will be forced to choose between US standards and European standards. And you can't do both at the same time. Yeah, absolutely not. So yeah, so the the NHS stuff, like Corbyn, you know, I think maybe the statement of their selling off the NHS was not like entirely like face first correct. 
which is why all the dumb journalists just like literally fell on top of each other saying, look, he's wrong again, stupid Corbyn. But like substantively over time, he is completely correct. And it's, I mean, it baffles me again that, well, it doesn't really baffle me, but like that this was, that they were just unable to grasp this and report this thing for the very serious conversation that it is. Well, I think the the most interesting thing about this document um outside of its obvious like the the literal contents of it is the fact that it was dropped by Corbyn completely at uh like essentially ambushing everyone that wasn't uh you know in the labor in a circle because there was absolute chaos as um, you know, journalists try to find a line to spin this with up to and including um, this is bad because it shows how untrustworthy Corbyn is with leaks. And yeah, it's like, that was extraordinary. This is, wait, so, and this is coming from a journalist. So what you're saying is journalism is bad. It's just like this. It's just it's it's funny when you get to see the the wheels spinning and the gears turning and they're going fucking nowhere because they have nothing to say to this. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's, uh, I saw um, someone was trying to sort of dispute the, um, the, the original, the original source of this, of this document, but it's pretty much stands up to scrutiny is the thing. And that yeah. is why it's such a, so effective really i mean um i don't know how how much it's going to actually cut through i think we're we're sort of gonna have to wait and see but i think this is i mean mean, the other thing that this uh dropping this document did was for better or worse pretty much cut the legs out from under the whole um jeremy corbyn why do you hate the jews so much even though three of the first questions he got asked at the press conference that he yeah. called to release the document were specifically to do with anti-Semitism, which is just amazing. Well done, guys. Good yeah. job. I mean, let's... We will... We have an episode planned specifically about the issue of anti-Semitism, so I think maybe let's park this one there because that's, you know, that's quite a tricky one and I... Yeah, it's a it's a big one. Yeah, yeah. I think the last thing maybe we should say about this document, unless you guys want to talk about it a bit more, um, is in relation to where we started, which was the climate change debate of today. And I'm just going to read a literal bit of text from one of these reports. and, and I'm quoting now, as of 2015, the US uh, trade representatives are bound by Congress not to include <laughs> any mention of greenhouse gas emission reductions in trade agreements. Uh, the US has stated that this ban would not be lifted anytime soon. So if you do a deal with the US, you cannot do a serious fight on climate change at the same wow, time. Wow, that's 2015. So that's still under yeah. Obama. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. That's that like something you lo- you lo- expect out of Trump, but you fucking love that. to see it, don't you? I mean, I don't know if this is like a, a, a law that Obama signed. I mean, it could very well be that it was like a clause hidden in some other bill. I mean, I don't know. Oh, it's Congress. Uh, I think there was a, it was a Republican Congress, wasn't it? Possibly. A Republican uh, which, Senate, which would but, make sense. But if it's if it's law, it must still pass the president's desk. Oh, yeah, so maybe it was yeah. slipped in somewhere. But, you know, still, like... I'm sure, if I'm you sure want to be he, serious, he'll but, have signed it as, like, he'll have signed it as a concession to some sort of like yeah. nth dimensional chess where if he compromises with the Republican Congress, then they will turn around and absolutely fuck him 
and never compromise with anything he does. You know, <laughs> like he he signs into law their ridiculous fucking petulant. No, oh, climate change isn't real. It's just weather act. And in return, they refuse flat out to like let him appoint a, a Supreme Court justice. That's yeah, all, that's that, I mean, they, I mean, that's all clever centrism. His, yeah. Liberals are perpetually getting wallet inspected, and this is. <laughs> I would not be surprised as this if this is another example of it. I mean, well, speaking spe- of wallets, surely <laughs> we could have a health wallet uh, to pay for your health care to go with your skills wallet. Ah, uh, finally. And and then when you're older, you can consolidate all that debt together. Just you know, it all makes sense. But- for, for for anyone listening that doesn't know what the skills wallet was or is, uh, it is a Lib Dem uh, policy, policy commitment, policy commitment where they will, over the course of your lifetime, pay you less than one year's worth of student debt to I allow you to it's, train. It's, well, at current prices, it's slightly more than one year of student debt. Oh, is it, oh yeah, it's like ten thousand yeah. pounds, isn't it's, it? Over a, over the course it's of your still life, a third of a degree. I yeah, third of a degree. In more detail in episode seventeen. So, yes, listen under, under the yeah. Well, I think we're just probably just going to keep explaining it in full every every episode because True, because it is so one of the dumbest things. One of the dumbest things that's been suggested. It's fucking dog shit. That's all you need to know. <laughs> it is, but I mean, un, under the bright Lib Dem future, that means you know, by the time you're fifty-five, you've got to get three people who are fifty-five together, and between them, they'll have a, a full degree's worth of expertise to apply to a problem. That and- feels like a good time to talk about some of our other favourite <coughs> liberals. My my favourites, actually, because like I love these people. The I'm, artists I'm so formerly happy. known as Cucktig. Did they finally <laughs> release their manifesto by any chance? Yes, they did. It's a it's a whopper. <laughs> it's a it's it's you know it's a coffee table book. Um, so how long <laughs> for comparison was Labour's manifesto? Uh, including like all the covers and uh, art and all that kind of stuff, as was I think one hundred and seven pages. Hundred odd pages, cool. And what was the lab- the uh, Tory ones? It, it was at least a few dozen, wasn't it? I think that was uh, sort of a, was it like forty or fifty something like that. I haven't opened the Necronomicon in a while. Depends on your audition. <laughs> so the Cactics must have written, you know, at least 30, 40 pages, right? Must have written. Give or take. Well, yeah, that sounds reasonable. You would think that, but you would be desperately, desperately wrong. It's 200? Oh. Uh, too much in the opposite direction. It is six pages. <laughs> yeah, yes, they, did, six. They, did, they did a page each. <laughs> no, two pages. Two pages each. There I, are only I three genuine, of them. I genuinely don't know how many of them are fucking left. There are it's three really of them. bizarre. Because I went to the website, to, to, obviously, as I do every day, to just, you know, stare at pictures <laughs> of Mike Gapes, essentially. <laughs> to keep up to date with the goings on and the game of Mike Gapes, I will log on to voteforchange.uk. So if, well, there's on, if there's only three of them, Mike Gapes must be in a leadership position soon. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on it. Please tell me that they. They please tell me they still included uh, a foreword from Chucker by accident. No, that unfortunately they did not. That would have been the best. But no. uh, but just, the weird just, thing I, is, like, you can go to the Cogtick uh, uh, website now, and like, if they haven't changed it in the meantime, because like, if you go on there, the 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 big photo you see is of five of them. But then the text <laughs> directly beneath it re- re- reads, uh, you know, Cogtig is the, is three people. And you're like, well, then who the hell are the other bastards on the photo? <laughs> Some randoms who got off the street. 
Uh, I think Andrew uh, Smith I, is still on there, if I remember correctly. So I'm looking uh, at it uh, right now, and I just noticed something amazing. On the front page, they have a bunch of people with their hands up. However, they've tried it? to hide this fact by sort of weaving their arms into each other. But while <laughs> there are seven hands, there are definitely no more than five people. Well, you got to keep those costs down, you know. Yeah. They spent they spent all that money on um, getting their uh, candidates' uh, backgrounds uh, checked during the European elections. They don't have t- they don't have time for that kind of thing or the money for that kind of thing anymore. Yeah. And I, spent- I just I just want to say that I haven't actually I haven't read this myself yet, but I have. I just I just I just want to. Um, I just imagine that um, Mike Gates has managed to get his hands all over this, and I hope he's got some very, some very, very choice uh, opinions on the Middle East in here. <laughs> no, he doesn't. There's, Does there's, he not? Uh, oh well, no, I'm no, disappointed. No, there's, there's Mike, really you need to not. step your game up, dude. Come on, what, what are uh, we voting for, man? Yeah, there's no, there's uh, apart from remain in Europe, there's nothing on foreign policy. None. There's no Middle East. <sighs> no, nothing. To be fair, there's not there's, a separate if there's section one on milk. Thing, if there's one thing sensible centrists don't need to like reiterate, it's their foreign policy stance because it's always drop more bombs. Yeah, smart. <laughs> oh man. No, uh, so he's. It's a wonderful thing, and like we will let's well, we'll go into content in, uh, content in a second. But the the last thing I want to say about this manifesto is like. Because they have that idiotic um, color scheme with the white and black bars, um, this entire manifesto is in grayscale, so it it, <laughs> it 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 looks like the manual for like an independent uh, prison group delivery. I tell I tell you what though, it keeps down the the cost of ink though. <laughs> to spend more on milk, milk from the north, milk from the south. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, oh, I, I just uh, um, Mike Gates did a um, uh, a hustings uh, yesterday, and he got booed several times, which is quite entertaining. Yeah. Um, so this short policy, <laughs> I mean, it's a, <laughs> I'm reading for the manifesto. That's so good. Even Remember, they admit it's short. <laughs> this short policy statement for the 2019 general election is not an exhaustive list of policies or a comprehensive program by any means. You don't I, say. <laughs> I love that. It's like, yeah, we know it's an election, but this is not a policy program by any means. This is just like some crap we got <laughs> cobbled together. This page intentionally left blank. <laughs> but oh, it half is, of every it page is... is blank. They're using so much white space here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if, if I whole, handed this if they'd in, done the whole thing in like, you know what I mean, like three columns of single single spaced, it would have been like four pages at most. Probably oh yeah, I mean, if any of us had handed this in, in in at school or uni, like you would have gotten this back with you know a note saying, yeah, no, respect the margins and try again. E minus. On, on the plus side, though, they have left enough white space so you can draw a huge dick on each page. <laughs> <laughs> Have you have you got some, have you got some juicy morsels for us, Rob? I do. Um, it's just what I quite like about it is is it, I think in a way it's it's like the purest expression of centrism I've ever seen. Like it's so <laughs> it's it's like the vanishing point, you know, in in the platonic like, ideal of centrism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you stare long enough, you know, past the actual painting into like 
the horizon where everything disappears. That's this. It's this the, the vanishing center point of politics. Um, it, it, I, I'll read bits, but it's just so bland. I think I may actually disappear from the podcast while reading it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm amazed they managed to write the whole thing without like soaking it in tears. <laughs> The centre of British politics has to regain confidence and provide positive ideas that are compelling, appropriate, and deliverable. To do this, we need the policy. We need policies that embody the values we hold. So, isn't centrist that, politics needs a safe space. Isn't that just the back page to Nick Clegg's autobiography? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> But it's just like provide positive ideas that are compelling, appropriate, and deliverable. Well, this is your manifesto, guys. Like, <laughs> do it. You know, this is your chance to to show exactly that. So there's there's just there's nothing there. It is the sound of one-handed clapping in a policy document. Um, I do like how this is this is the same uh, uh, Anna Subri, I think it was that said. Um, we shouldn't be having manifestos. We should just have lists of values. And it's just like, uh, as any <laughs> like m- like vaguely intelligent person would sort of understand that values doesn't really mean anything in this in a manifesto or in place of a manifesto because it doesn't tell you what they would actually do. No. So. It's, it's very cool that um, they are going... It looks like they're going to out, outline their values for us, so I'll be interested to see how this has worked out for them. The whole thing's just faintly depressing. It just... You know what I mean? It's like they, they, there's only three of them. They're all going to lose their seats, and they have to know that, so they could have put fucking anything in here. It's not yeah. like they're ever going to be held to account for it. Yeah, that's a I mean, point. And they're just, someone... Instead, they're just sort of making like these meaningless, like, grey platitudes about centrism and reasonableness and just yeah oh, just, they could just have had the maddest a, manifesto they yeah yeah someone's got a gun to your head and it's like come up with a good idea or like everything you know is going to disappear a you just start saying in every city <laughs> yeah exactly you just start spouting absolutely mad shit every like everyone over the age of 55 now has to go plant a tree immediately or under pain of death like literally any any old shit but <laughs> we're gonna reroute hs2 to form a giant pentacle so we can summon satan from stonehenge like do that <laughs> like you yeah. can do that that's a cool thing i'd vote for you if you wanted to do that they could have they could have wished for literally anything because they know they're not going to get it and instead they just went well maybe we should make voting compulsory and Something, yeah. something more cross-party negotiation and a worse version of the skills wallet. Point um, every okay. gun in I mean, the every gun and weapon in the country towards Moscow. So while, I don't we, know, while we're anything. talking, I'm quickly skimming through it. And okay, quickly then, skimming through. You mean you're much... reading it in full? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take um, And while there isn't much in it, some of the few things they have written are. Well, I'm sure Rob's got some extracts for us. I think we should probably move on to them because I want to hear them. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'll bring up... There's, there's like a poor man's version of the Lib Dem skills wallet in it, which is... Like, <laughs> An empty skills possible, wallet. <laughs> it is. Um, they propose a 20-week uh, retraining sabbatical for those in need of a mid-career skills boost accompanied by oh. a stipend grant to sustain those individuals during their time retraining on such a program. So you don't even get the educational costs. 
Like you just get like a sandwich or probably like a food bank voucher. Oh great! So you get you get a per diem like uh, yes. to buy uh, to buy your lunch. And, like that's fucking you get it. Three quid a day <laughs> awesome. to spend on a Tesco value meal. Yeah, incredible. Is, and my favorite one. And if the place, if the college you're training at only has an as the next door, well, tough fucking shit, son. <laughs> it's, it's literally skills gulags, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, and, it's and, like and they the say we're the Stalinists. And it's 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 one it's again like the Lig Dems, you know, a twenty week retraining sabbatical. Like sabbatical is a is you know an upper middle class management class thing, you know. Like when's the last time you saw like a a, a farmer or somebody working in the service industry saying, "No, I'm actually on sabbatical from uh you know uh yeah it, it's from sabbatical Pref. it's sabbatical if you're posh and it's unemployment for everyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, can I tell you my favorite policy though? Because I just love it. Because it just this is it just shows their tiny little beating hearts straight through it. Is this the one I think it's going to be? You probably you probably do. Um, this is from their section on law and order. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read now. This. New sentencing powers and sanction tailored tailored to the offense with stronger deterrent effect. For instance, and this is where it gets good. <laughs> Bans from driving or from social media are oh, I mean, two perfectly equitable things. I know. Yeah. It's just, is, is it just me, or because I suspect you can, you can already be banned from driving? I think that's a thing. Yeah, but this is um, you get banned from social media if you uh, well, if mean, you tweet banned, banned milk and social, Mike Apes. Banned from social media is is possibly new, but I'm pretty sure there are you can. Not be new to you from, though, is it, Jamie? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically yeah. they're just they're just attacking me personally now. Yeah, for you it would be a lifetime like you'd be we'd all have lifetime ship posting bans under the Cogtick regime. So that wasn't my favourite one. Can I say my favourite one? Yes, yes. In their economy section, international tax avoidance treaty enforced through a new body at the United Nations. The Cogtigs <laughs> think that somehow they can make that happen. That, and also geez, the UN has the powers to do that. That's more like it, though. We're gonna I mean, we're gonna make the UN. Yeah, that's abs- That's fucking bonkers. I mean, if you shoot for the sky, that's not a bad one. But it's a pity the rest of it wasn't like that. You know what I mean? They could have they could have said they were gonna you know build international rescue, or oh, or, or like you know just just drag all your policies from Jerry Anderson shows. You know. Like London in the event of a hurricane is all the all the tower blocks are gonna fold into the ground while a siren plays or something like that. Oh I've just found another one that would go down amazingly well. Compulsory voting. Yeah, well, that's that's that's, that's was, actually not, not the worst. <laughs> against that. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean that, it's, was, in, it's that not, was in the section with stuff like, you know, they they want to do something to make cross party like cooperation more viable just basically they want to reshape the the political landscape so that shit like parties like with with half a dozen fuckwits are the future you know break up the monopoly of of like um of politics that actually works and just you know devolve everything into like a soup of like idiots with shit logos but without actually changing the first class of both system because i don't mention that yeah. Oh god, yeah, that would that would that would actually be fucking hilarious. Like, so, okay, so we've got compulsory voting, but we've still got fit first past the post. So yeah, it's compulsory. It's compulsory minor voting. parties. 
It's compulsory voting with the option to opt out, though. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, but only with a good reason or something, isn't it? Uh, let me find the exact It just word. says, with provision for abstention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So if you, um, it, 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 you have to vote unless you abstain, in which case you, you don't vote, I believe. I believe that's what yeah. abstention means. I, I don't know. So it's, it's, not, we, it's, it's that's, com- not compulsory, but it, you know, it's compulsory voting, but unless you don't want to. Right. That is that is perfectly it's perfect in how just confused it is. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, never never let anyone tell you that uh, the center doesn't have a uh, biting political ideas. Yeah, shall we? But speaking of things that are very confusing, um, shall we move on? Because we do have like one uh, final series topic we want to cover before we do uh, comment or commentary at. Um, and that's, I do think, because this week we had the um, YouGov MRP poll, am I saying that correct, uh, come out and there's been a bunch of others and everybody gets very excited or not excited when it comes to polling. Unfortunately, um, my podcast baby, uh, Andrew, uh, knows a hell of a lot more about that than I do. So I'm going to turn mean, things I over think, to him. I think you're saying that right. It is just three letters and they are MR and P as far as I'm aware. But I, I, yeah. don't, I don't know... <laughs> So tell us, Andrew, what are polling? And what? what is, how do you pronounce MRP? Is it MRP? Is yeah, it inquiry, inquiring minds need to know. So, so, <laughs> yeah, M- M- MRP is MRP, and it stands for multi-level regression and post-stratification. Um, but we'll, we'll get on to what that means in a bit. Um, but obviously polling is it's talked about a lot, and there's there's a lot of... Uh, shit flung at polling and a lot of that is fair i'm sure we all have our <laughs> our favorite examples so i mean you know I, I i'll try i'm gonna try and call draw a couple of distinctions so so some stuff is like super subjective right so it's it's like when you know yougov releases a, a headline grabbing poll that says we polled you know 600 x labor voters and ask them, uh, you know, which of the terrible characteristics of known communist and terrorist sympathizer Jeremy Corbyn was it that forced them to uh, not vote Labour anymore? You know, that 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 sort of stuff is is pretty, you know, not not statistically valid because there's loads of leading questions and it, and it's purely political in many ways, and you've got to ask who's paid for that. Um, but but vote intention stuff is really not like that. You know, vote intention questions are fairly bland. I don't think there's a lot of uh, inherent bias in how they ask vote intention questions. So, but there's a whole bunch of other things that you've got to take into account. One, of course, is that the uh, the the panels that these people are drawing from, whether it's phone polls, internet polls, who's signing up to these things. Um, and, and the traditional way to get around that is is waiting. And and the other thing, and really the thorny issue that's becoming a lot more relevant in things like the 2017, and particularly we, we hope slash worry in this election, is turnout modeling. So a traditional opinion poll, right, is just measuring opinion. And there's no threshold to having an opinion. People just have opinions. But actually voting means someone goes out, turns up, well, registers to vote for a start, and then turns out a polling station and votes. And so you've got to turn opinions into votes. And and that is uh, very hard work. And and so there's a lot more uncertainty in vote intention polling. And 
you know, in my opinion, the thing much worse than any of the methodological criticisms that you have of pollsters is the coverage of polling, because the coverage of polling is done by a lot of woefully uninformed people that get very, very <laughs> hey, excited. Hey, 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 I take offense. Um, <laughs> John Rantoul knows everything. So, so he keeps saying, hey... Um, and and that's and that's what we've got is actually a lot of people's opinions of pollings are formed by the coverage and polling, and and not the polling itself. Um, and 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 actually that's the thing, right? Is that whilst polling is informative, in that um, trends are important. So you know even YouGov, the much maligned YouGov, um, they show a trend in the last week or so of Labour narrowing the gap. Now, so it doesn't matter whether or not they have a five or whatever point bias in the Tories, if the trend is going in the right direction, that's the interesting thing that you're saying. Um, but I, I would say that in 2017, a lot of nonsense was talked about how, quote unquote, bad the polls got it wrong. Um, a lot of them got it a bit wrong, but not as wrong as people think they did. So the Tories came out with about a two and a half point lead uh, over Labour in the national uh, vote share in the end of the day. Um, the, the sort of headline YouGov poll that they skewed their turnout model, which is a perfectly valid thing to do. They were very honest about it. They said, look, we're applying a, a completely different turnout model to this poll. It gave the Tories a seven point lead, which is only four and a half points off the real result, which actually in terms of the uncertainty you're talking about, isn't that bad. But their previous polls, that like their normal vote intention polls, were only like four-point Tory lead, um, which is well within what you'd call the margin of error with Servation, who is widely lauded as uh, as predicting the hung parliament. But Servation actually understated uh, what the, the Tory lead was going to be. So, so nobody got it absolutely right because, well, that's basically impossible except by luck. Um, but there was a lot of people who got it obviously quite wrong and we we don't know whether or not the same mistakes apply to this election um and and so you know at the end of the day the the uncertainty especially in british polling because we don't do much of it because there is nowhere near as much money in the us one of the nice things about the corruption of us politics is that they throw so much money at polling there's so much data they're a lot better at it um can i sorry can, so, can i yeah can you I know sure question about um uh, what well, first is a quick one like this the new sort of the big one that came out this week the YouGov MRP I think they did like a hundred thousand people or something like what's the cost of that like how much does that cost to do? Well, so first of all, YouGov promise every person I I think it's still fifty p probably per poll, um and and you know whatever their overheads are right but it, it must cost a bunch of money to do this, all this stuff because you know it easily costs five figures to do uh say like a thousand or fifteen hundred person poll you know so the, these things aren't cheap and then there's uh you know in terms of the data analysis and the overall infrastructure it takes to take these things in um but but the point about mrp right is that it's a it's a completely different way of predicting voting because uh, in in what you'd call, I guess, the olden days, um, where you basically just had Labour and the Tories, uh, a national swing pretty much always manifested itself yeah. across all the constituencies in a fairly predictable way. Um, this is this at, is where we got all the stuff from the swingometer from from elections <laughs> years ago. Exactly, and and the swingometer is a huge 
hangover, I guess, um, because we found it very hard to adjust how we talk about uh, elections and how we talk about the results of elections, except through that lens. Um, and so, you know, in particular, when you've got incredibly and, and the nationalists, of course, in, in Scotland, especially have, have really screwed that up. Um, because we, 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 you know, even even though in terms of government, it's still a two horse race, you know, we, we do very much live in a multi party system. Um, and, and that's very much what MRP tries to overcome in that, you know, okay. the, the, the national vote share doesn't tell you what it is people are really interested in terms of the election. So MRP. This is, this is that sort of that mismatch between. Uh, a broad scope of the nation versus the actual block by block constituency by constituency vote which is how we actually elect a government precisely precisely and and you know and obviously it's much inspired by the fact say in the united states they do a lot of state by state polling uh, for presidential elections so when you're talking about you know predictions for presidential victories um you know the the better models are all saying okay we're modeling the states we're modeling the uh the electoral college um not just who wins the national chair because as we know hillary clinton comfortably won the national vote share but lost the electoral college by quite a substantial margin and the same thing happens all the time in uk politics it always has you know clement attlee in terms of national vote share won the 1950 and 1951 elections um, but did not manage to form a majority government and Winston, Winston Churchill got back in. And, and that is, you know, much more a problem now as, you know, they, there was the big shock in 2015 um, when polls were actually not that far off, but they were off in a, in a really important way because... It yeah, I mean, it was very significant when 2015, when uh, Corbyn got, did overperformed, at least the narrative was... Corbyn's going to get 2017. That it handed yeah. to him, and also in 2015, I think. Yeah. Well, well t- no, Corbyn t- wasn't leader in 2015. Oh yeah, no, of course. Sorry, I'm having a dare. Yeah, in 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 2015, they were predicting a a dead heat between Labour and the Tories, um, and the and the Tories won, but like not by so much that you'd be that surprised considering what the polls were, given the historical accuracy of polls in general and the challenges. That they face so so i think a lot of people overreacted and there was a lot of weird stuff going on with polling in 2017 um and and it's really hard to know how people have reacted to that um but, but trying to get back to the mrp thing because that's what everyone's talking about is that so essentially what mrp does it you know like we've said it tries to model those demographics and make individual predictions on the constituencies and and it had a, a storming success in 2017 what we don't know is was how much of that was luck uh, and how much of that <laughs> is, was that they accurately modeled what was going on and and one of the things um that caught my eye uh, as as a statistician is that um you know, because the, the blurb that YouGov released is essentially the same saying, oh, well, we, we poll, you know, a lot of people and we, we form these demographics and we give bespoke predictions because, you, you know, you can get the, you know, the ONS breakdowns on the male, females of, you know, of all the ages in a constituency. You've got the census data on things like education. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you can know, pile a lot of data know, sets on top of it, each it, other. It, exactly, exactly. Um, but one of the things they've done is they they doubled uh, the number of surveys they're using in this model from 50,000 to 100,000. Um, 
so if you know if you're a business like you guys you don't just do that for fun because it costs them money to mm. collect data and and so whilst everyone's getting very excited about saying this is the the model quote unquote the um that predicted the last election uh, I look at that and I say, well, it, it's not, isn't it? Because, well, let's face it, you know, if, if you're the guys in the YouGov office who did that model, you've, you you made an absolute fucking great time of it. Your your managers and their managers are all piling praise upon you. And then they ask you what's next. And you say, well, we can make the model better. Um, so So what it seems to me is that, you know, clearly they've been working on this model for the last two years, maybe making it better, maybe not. Um, but whatever it is they've done, they've decided that they need to double the amount of data they need to collect for that model, which definitely doesn't happen in a business like that by accident. And and so, uh, what's what's the what do you think the significance of them releasing this model uh, about a week earlier than they did in the 2017 election? Because my understanding. Uh, such as it is, I'm not a statistician. <laughs> um, is that this is this model is great at predicting what would happen if the election was today, which I yeah. think is pretty fair to say when its uh, vote share is as volatile as it is at the moment. Oh, ab- absolutely. I th- I think um, I I wouldn't read anything into like uh, you know. There's no conspiracy why they've done that. It's just that they probably already had the infrastructure in place, and so they can obviously release okay. it earlier. And 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 given the amount of coverage they got last time, they're probably quite excited yeah. to get it out. It's it's very good for YouGov as a business to be you know talked about in a way that the other pollsters aren't. Um, but what what I would say is that you know any polling, the further out from election, is obviously less predictive of the final outcome. Um, and actually, you know, in terms of politics, what we should be wondering is that you know. How much do we allow ourselves these kinds of polls to influence what's yeah. going on? You know, it's it, you know, it is not a passive observer. You know, especially when no, it's no, no, even, it influences you know, the way people perceive and then vote. Well, even even some... things like um like campaigning, like how uh, I mean, the yeah. Labour Party said that they're changing their um yeah. uh, who they're who they're targeting with their campaign stuff, haven't they? Uh, recently. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think that's a very good question. One other thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Andrew, is um, there's a lot of talk, especially I think Momentum says it a lot, the people at Novara certainly say it a lot, is they always say, yes, these polls are not, you know, I mean, we have to be fair, you know, the last, I mean, there hasn't been really any poll yet that has put Labour um, up in front. But one of the standard answers I always hear to that is, apart from polls are unreliable, uh, is yes, but that's because polls um, use landlines and therefore they don't catch young people, therefore they don't see what's going on on the ground because no young person has a landline anymore. Is that correct? Um, I mean, the landline thing, not really anymore. I don't don't think many pollsters rely on landline these days. Uh, most, Most of them are done online uh but you know that being said the the general criticism is correct and it's a huge challenge for all polling is that you know trying to understand what are the biases in you know the people you're actually some the the panel that you get basically you know that's what waiting is for and waiting is a challenge traditionally it's been done demographically based on census uh and ons data um but like i said earlier that you know that actually the one of the bigger challenges with vote intention 
is is turnout modeling right and and in in, yeah. in the bad old days they used to just assume turnout was the same as the last election in every demographic um, <laughs> you know and well for well, a- we've, we've seen even worse than that haven't we yeah. um i think it was Kantar put out a poll where they said that uh they pretty much said that Anyone under the age of uh, 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 everyone under the age of like thirty five, their turnout was halved, and everyone. I mean, it's fucking like something like over this age of sixty five or seventy five was went from eighty percent to ninety percent. It's fucking all the the coffin dodgers were like guaranteed to 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 wheelie their way to the uh, polling station. Yeah, voting voting from from in the fucking coffin. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's that's that's an extremely lazy way of doing it. Um, and, and, you know, certainly the, the smaller, more old fashioned uh, polling companies probably have some horrendous turnout models. I'd, I'd be interested because here's the thing about, you know, someone like YouGov, which is clearly one of the most statistically advanced polling companies. They don't actually, you know, when they say weighted according likelihood to vote, they don't actually tell you what that means. They, they give you a table saying, here's the distribution on a scale of zero to 10, what people replied. They don't tell you what they did with that. What, what does a six out of 10, you know, in terms of likelihood <laughs> to vote mean? I don't know. Um, I, you know, even if I said it, I wouldn't know what it really meant. And actually, you know, six out, if someone told me they were six out of 10, three weeks from an election, does that mean the same thing as six out of 10 a week or a yeah, day, the day before, before an election? Or on the yeah. Day. Um, yeah. You know, so, 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 you know, it's, it's this kind of filter of likelihood to vote that makes vote like what they call the headline intention result. Um, you know, it's, it's such an added layer of uncertainty which is why they need to be taken with such a pinch of salt and you know the fact is people are changeable things do happen to change people's minds it's it's you know certainly not uh you know an oracle telling you how the election's gonna come out and you know mrp is the same because the mrp is still relying you know what you know they it's probably modeling the demographics better um but it still has the exact same problems in term in terms of likelihood to vote and, you know, when you look at, uh, say, the crosstabs, you know, older people... Sorry, are... just just for the for, for people who maybe are not this into it, crosstabs are like so, the yeah. underlying data bits or... Yeah, so the, the crosstabs are essentially, um, they give you a lot more data about what went into that poll. Um, so, so, for example, they're, they're the bits that tell you by age, gender, uh, socioeconomic status you know, broken down into all the tiny little bits uh, of data. Um, and, and what you see, of course, is that older people are much more likely to say that they are 100% or 10 out of 10 going to vote or like zero going to vote, which is not surprising considering if you're like 60, whatever years old, if you voted in 10 general elections, you're probably pretty sure you're going to vote in the next one. If you're in your yeah. 20s and you voted in one before or even zero if you're even younger, you know, you're asked a question like that and you're like, I don't know, out of 10, what does that even mean? <laughs> and also young people by their very nature because they start voting at 18 i mean you can also model for that and say okay this person has turned up for 10 elections in the road therefore number 11 is pretty sure but someone young who's voted in one election you know may have the hard intention of definitely turning up and voting but they will that necess- that won't necessarily statistically translate is that about correct well, and, and also a young person might say zero and the next day one of their best friends kind of bullies them into voting. Uh, or fucking <laughs> Stormzy. <laughs> exactly, right? So so it's, it's you know, it's extremely difficult. And I, th- I think a lot of the shit the polls get, you know, doesn't recognize actually what, what a tough job that is. 
you know, and I think a lot of the shit is down to the fact the coverage is terrible. People people get overexcited about things they agree with or not agree with or whatever. And and okay. we just need to be we need to be a lot calmer about what the polls say and just accept okay, the fact so... huge amounts of uncertainty no matter what at any stage. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says, um, you know, our job is to change the polls, not just to read them, basically, I, to I, paraphrase. I, I would 100% agree with that. All right. No, I think... All right, so final sort of word on the polling bit, and then we'll play we'll play some games and everybody can, you know, we'll, we'll drive Alistair insane for a little bit. Um, <laughs> given that there's like two more weeks to go of... I'm sure there's going to be a whole bunch more new polls and stuff out there. If you're like us, or probably like our listeners who are also somewhat obsessed with politics and really follow it on a day-to-day basis, what sort of attitude should we take to the next week, next two weeks of numbers coming out? Like, should we believe some of it, none of it, all of it? Should we just keep cracking on, do what we do? So, like, what should our attitude essentially be? Well, I mean, you know, it's easy to say, okay, the numbers right now look worrying for the Labour Party, um, which they very much do. Um, but at the end of the day, whatever the numbers say today uh, shouldn't affect what you do tomorrow, uh, because all we can do is, you know, try and put forward, you know, our views on why Labour should form the next government. Why it is we're doing this? Why, you know, when you're out on the doorstep, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people, you know, when you're canvassing, you're doing it because you believe in it. And and actually, I think it's important for the people on the doorstep to recognize that more than getting in an argument with them, right? You know, because that makes them, like, seeing that someone made the effort makes them think more than some stupid little doorstep argument, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, a lot of people just won't change their mind, so don't worry about that. Um, but all we can do is try and be nice to the people who will change their minds and try and encourage more than anything youth turnout and first voter turnout um, because that's where the models break down, right? Where they don't have the data, the younger people, the people who haven't voted. That's that's where, you know, if, if those models are way off, it's because we've succeeded. Not because the models were necessarily flawed in what they were doing, um, but because we've managed to break them by changing the underlying assumptions. And that should be our aim. All right, cool. That's super helpful. That actually does make me feel, I won't say better about polling because I will admit to having some anxiety about the whole business by now. Um, but that's at least, that's super helpful. And uh, thank you very much for for, for, for coming on and, and talking to us about that. Uh, and also any future episodes you want to be on. Now, I think it's time to play some games. Oh, no. Who wants God. to play games? Come on, let's just let's get fucking started. Let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> in right. this week's episode uh, of Alistair's Brain Melts <laughs> they all float down here um, no, well, just, at, least it's not, at least it's not a brain melting article this week no at least uh, just very briefly for Andrew I don't know if you know the game but essentially this is what we call comment or commentary at um, everybody you know I've picked from the wild places of the internet a number of quotes um, and it is up to the four of you to guess whether they come from uh, commentariat so actually mostly paid sometimes not paid but named um, opinion writers or if they come from below the line and are left by random comments all right so let's get started I've got a few sort of I'll start with 
one or two, maybe even three, on um, the theme of climate change, because there were some classy ones uh, this week. And let me start with the following. <clears throat> climate emergencies are for flouncy, emotional, not very well-educated, lower-middle-class people in the home counties. They also have been having an avocado emergency. That is commentariat, definitely. Commentariat. Uh, I'll go with comment. Andrew, what do you reckon? Um, it's 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 super poserish. I'm going to say commentariat. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> the majority of you, you know, when polled, were wrong. Uh, it is actually a comment, and it comes from conservative woman. <laughs> oh God, Andrew, what's all that fancy book learning done for you? I can't even get comment and commentariat right. Uh, I need I need numbers. None of these words. <laughs> All right. Um, this is um, specifically about Labour's new policy on planting a lot of new trees. Um, all right, here we go. This clearly shows that, co- again, this is about planting trees. Uh, this clearly shows that Corbyn will do anything to gain power. What a ridiculous statement to after 48 hours after his car crash interview. He is now changing the emphasis of his campaign as the previous four weeks have been an absolute embarrassment. He looks like a beaten man. The syntax of that sounds like a comment. <laughs> but that the sentiment could easily be either. And also, let me remind you, this is about the policy of maybe sticking some trees in the ground. <laughs> Oh man, there's some people losing. There's one guy, uh, some journalist, um, who basically made it look like this is un- the two billion trees policy was basically impossible. And it's like, my dude, like you can lay like hundreds of trees in an hour, like per person. Chill out. <laughs> so, is this comment or is this commentary? Yet? I'm going with comment. Does Does Mike Gates count as which? Comment <laughs> it depends if he's left it on uh, like a comment under like the Ilford South newspaper or something. If, if website. Mike Gapes had written an opinion piece in the Ilford South newspaper, uh, we would have found it and we would have read it already. I think. I'm, I'm going right, to say commentary. I'm going to say comment. All right. It was um, a comment from the BBC Politics website. Oh yes, I knew it. <laughs> All right, uh, third one. This is about um, previous Tory MEP Robert Flello, which is a great last name, by the way. What a name! Yeah, <laughs> he, he wasn't. He wasn't a Tory, was he? He was Labour and then Lib Dem. Oh, sorry. He, but I thought he was Labour, but he jumped. Uh, at least he jumped to the Lib Dems, um, and then apparently he was deselected from the Lib Dems because it turns out he was an insane Catholic um, who didn't think that women should have abortions, essentially. Yeah, like um, he said, he, he's a Tory. Yeah, <laughs> this is why I got confused. Anyway, so this is a this is about him being uh, deselected by the Lib Dems. If you believe in protecting a helpless child in the womb and in the traditional <laughs> definition of marriage, then the so-called liberals will throw you out because there is no such thing as respect for conscience in their nasty authoritarian party. Tim Farron. <laughs> again, it de- again it depends if he wrote this as a comment or if he wrote an article and wrote an article on this. Oh, um, damn. Comment. Oh, oh, that sounds like the kind of crazy shit you get in like Quillette or something. 
Uh, I'm going to go commentariat. Depends how far Rob has been down the depths of the internet to find some of these, really. Um, I'm going to say comment again. <laughs> Definitely commentariat. You are correct. This was Anne Whittacombe writing for the Daily Express. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I knew it was somewhere bonkers. Oh, dear. By the way, that like two-line snippet I read to you just then, that was like 70% of her whole column, and I'm pretty sure she's been paid for this. Wait, what? Fucking what? So it's like two paragraphs or something? Yeah, yeah the whole thing was like two paragraphs. It's just insane. Jeez, oh, it's such a fucking grift. <laughs> it's an insane oh, man. grift. Um, oh, right, Jesus Christ. Um, the idiot currently leading the Lib Dem party would presumably not care to overburden her tiny brain by reflecting on the appalling consequences of drug use and the innocent victims of those driven insane by it. I assume that her intellectual facilities, such as they are, were adversely affected by her own drug use by what she probably refers to as uni. Commentariat. I think that comment, comment, going comment. I'm mostly focusing on the words um, adversely. I don't think your average commenter would use it. (laughs) I think even in today's political climate, you'd be hard-pressed for uh, an actual journalist to write something quite as as invective-fueled against the Lib Dems. If it had been if they'd been talking about Corbyn being an idiot who did drugs at uni, then yeah, I'd believe it. But I think comment if it's the Lib Dems. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I reckon I reckon it's what's his name Hitchens because he. Ooh, Peter Hitchens. Yeah, because he he's got a real thing about like drug use, but he he's he's like obsessed with like. Uh, like marijuana causing medical illness and stuff. That 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 sounds <laughs> Is like that the Peter Hitchens thing. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's it sounds like well, I, well, clearly I'm wrong then because otherwise you'd have his name in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, Ooh, I, so, very so I, sharp. This is, so I'm yeah, going to say yeah. comment. Uh, although like I, it might it might be something Peter Hitchens would write. <laughs> this is this is very good. That's like you've eluded your dungeon master. This is a <laughs> very sharp. <laughs> you, no, this you, gave, actually... you, gave, you gave the game in there. Oh, I gave the game away there, Rob. Yeah. No, this was actually a comment and it came once again from anybody want to yeah. get from a P Hitchens comment? But it was No, uh... it was conservative woman. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it's like you you find a new like vein of content I and you love just conservative just... woman is home to some of the maddest people you will ever meet. Uh, in, in that case, in future, I'm just going to guess conservative woman every time you ask, and it's some bonkers bullshit like that. In the same way as you can often guess BBC for David. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. What do we have? What do we have? Um, yes. I am truly fearful for the poorer of our society under a possible Corbyn government. Child oh, allowance, universal credit, benefits could disappear under Corbyn. I am oh all for... <laughs> I am all for higher taxes, but Corbyn would drive all the wealth tax-producing people from our shores. Businesses would leave, taking their jobs. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. Let's face it. No, they wouldn't. Ask yourself one simple question. If you were a businessman and could set up your shop, factory, warehouse, anywhere in the world, (sighs) would you choose the UK under a communist Marxist regime? No, of course not. Right. Okay. Here I mean, we go. That was, that was mostly <laughs> Alistair shouting. 
Ask yourself <laughs> one simple question. Is the person who wrote that a fucking idiot? <laughs> I think commentaria. Like, commentaria. Oh, okay. That's oh, no way to no. talk about a three-time Labour Prime Minister. That particular <laughs> brand. <laughs> that particular brand of like absolute fuckwitted concern trolling at the start there. Oh, I love the poor, but I think Labour would be bad for them. Yeah, fuck off. Of course you don't. I, no, this idea, this idea that a business, if they attack small, would move all of their business overseas. Like it doesn't work if you sell things in this fucking country. Like if you're if you're someone who manufactures, I don't know, or like or just builds houses, you still have to build the houses in this fucking country. You well, can't I mean, build if, them somewhere else. Even if you don't do that, if like if you're Amazon, right? Say you're you're that, yeah, exactly. that fucking prick that runs Amazon. I can't remember his name. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yes, that fucker. If you're him and you make like, you know, a bajillion dollars every he minute or whatever the I fuck he does. I think I remember reading that he makes something like 23,000 US dollar a second. But it, it's it's a lot of money anyway. If you make all that money and then Britain says, right, we're going to we're going to make you pay your taxes or you can't sell anything here. We'll like we'll literally seize all your assets and chase you out of town like comically with a, with pitchforks and burning torches and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you going to are you going to take your ball home or pay the taxes? Because under like if you if you if you aren't paying the taxes you're making like you know say a hundred million dollars a week and then if you are paying the taxes you're suddenly only making fifty dollars fifty million dollars a week yeah it's still because you love money more than anything else so unless- you are literally a bad businessman if you say i would rather make no money than less money than before like you might you might threaten that you're going to pull out and oh yeah maybe absolutely if the logistics of it aren't too like aren't too uh, costly you might actually pull out for like a little while as a show of strength but you will eventually crack because there's still money to be made and if you're not going to make it Somebody else will. Somebody else will. Yeah, exactly. If Starbucks suddenly decide they don't like, we're going to make them pay tax, and that's a deal breaker, and they fuck off. Yeah, well, exactly. Else will be celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So where do we land on this? Is it comment or is it commentaria? It's commentaria. Uh, that's commentaria. Yeah, commentaria. Got, got to be. Yeah. It's Everybody not, in full agreement. I'm changing. It's mm. comment. It is. It's from the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, well, someone, someone, give that man a fucking column because I mean, like congratulations, I, I, congratulations on finding a Daily Mail article where they haven't had to turn the comments off. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what I will say is, I made one small cut because otherwise it would have given the game away straight away. And I'll re- reread you the first line with the cut left in because that makes this thing even more mental. Oh god! Um, I'm not right. truly not about the- to have a heated gamer <laughs> moment on here. <laughs> I am truly fearful for the poorer in our society under a possible Corbyn government. And this is where the cut's going to come. Child allowance, universal credits, the benefits my family receives could disappear under Corbyn. Ah. So he has family members on benefits, but he just thinks one of the most creators. No, no, this is obvious. That's Prince Philip. The benefits, oh. is, it, they might disappear. Yeah. All right. In, oh, should, in, should we do? Should we do one more? Yes. In honor of the uh, climate change debate, we'll do the last one on that theme as well. All right. Here we go. 
CO2 is not a pollutant. It is essential oh, to no. all life on Earth. Photosynthesis oh. is a blessing. More CO2 is beneficial for nature and greens the Earth. Additional CO2 this- in the air has promoted growth in global plant biomass. It is also <laughs> good for agriculture, increasing the yield of crops worldwide. Uh, Can I have needed? Of that person is smoking, please? It's, all, uh, it's, it's CO2. It's all <laughs> CO2. Yeah, did a, did a plant write that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, think, I think I actually saw I mean, this. I think this is actually... Co- I will give you that. I'm pretty sure this is a commentary because I think I might have actually seen this one out in the wild. I'm going with commentary. I definitely, I definitely remember some dipshit a few weeks ago making this point that CO2 was actually good for the planet. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's it's a yeah. mainstay of climate denial nutbaggery. Well, there was there was a there was a wave of it recently where someone made this exact point that like, well, actually, CO two make like if you if we cut back on CO two, all the trees will die, and then where will we be? <laughs> but there was also because there was at the same around the same time, some fucking one of those like people they have. I think I'm pretty sure it was an American politician. Oh um, yeah, for sure. Because you know how like they run their government like basically by just hiring a bunch of circus clowns and letting them like <laughs> fucking you know sit around wanking all day. But <laughs> one of them claimed that you know there's a lot of CO two in the atmosphere on Venus and Venus is still there. <laughs> wow! Wow! Well, also, tight. you know, additional CO two is better. That's why when there were dinosaurs, there were no trees. Yeah, but oh, yeah, I mean God. Venus. Venus is still there. Obviously, you can't you can't live there. But no, by the way, but... if if anyone <laughs> is interested gone. in some good real estate opportunities on Venus, I've got to connect. Just uh, message me <laughs> after the podcast. We can you know make a deal. It's the best deals, all the best deals. Yeah, yeah. we pay, pay us in Amazon gift cards. It's great. We you know we promise we'll get you a good patch. Well, <sighs> they'll, right. they'll be the only currency in Bezos land. So. <laughs> Go on, here, here. What, what is right. it? But now, what your first, I would like to have your esteemed uh, guesses. Uh, commentary, oh, commentary all round. You are correct. It was Harry Wilkinson, yeah. writing in conservative <laughs> woman once again. <laughs> That's and, not a woman. No, but it's a, it's brings us to a nice close because, like, the first thing I read about flouncy, emotional, um, low middle class people with avocados. That comment was in response to this piece. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. All right. It's great. Uh, it's a wonderful website, and I encourage you all to, to you know stare into the heart of the sun. It's a lot of fun. Do not listen to this man. <laughs> I am At your home, podcast Turn daddy. off the podcast you now. Do, do not let this man poison your brain anymore. Listen to your podcast, daddy. Go to that. Es- escape while you still fucking can. <laughs> All right, and on that note, we will uh, we will say our goodbyes, but not before, of course, telling all of you to subscribe right here, right now, to our esteemed Twitter uh, stream at, at PraxisCast for more hot takes, yelling at journalists, and announcements of other things to come. Uh, follow me at SA underscore Balastari. Um, watch me swear at um, blue ticks and then get suspended for 12 hours. Follow me at Brovine at board, of, uh, Brovine of board, but you won't see much on there apart from... Um, well, don't follow me on Twitter, but thanks for having me, guys. It was great fun. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for being here. And you can't follow yeah. Jamie because he's been banned. 
Yeah, it's a well-established fact. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought this first fallen soldier in the posting war. Oh, I'll, I'll be back. I've got I've got a safe deposit box full of like burner phones and, and passports. I'm going to use like Jason Bourne. I'm the Jason Bourne of Twitter. Have you got a bunch of like a Motorola razors or something just in there? Yeah. Yeah, I'll be oh, cool. Man. Oh, sweet. All right. So as I, as I mentioned during the uh, episode, uh, we have the anti-Semitism special episode coming up that's going to be a load of light-hearted banter as you can well imagine uh but we are finally we- going to solve racism yes exactly <laughs> once and for all <laughs> bye um and finally uh just to hype it once again we are still preparing to do a full live stream with all the results uh on election eve itself we're working on the technical stuff and everybody is buying a lot of booze in the coming weeks so we can all be catastrophically drunk together Either in joy or in sadness, but either way, we will be very drunk. Keep an eye out for that, and we'll tell yep. you more about that on the Twitter. And I'm, I'm picturing, I'm picturing that election night stream just suddenly cutting off at like, like one a.m. when everyone's too drunk to operate it anymore. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Somebody's head's uh, gonna hit the keyboard. Should we, should we just end it there? Yeah, that's yep. it there. Yeah. Yeah, let's put it out of the Thanks for listening, right. everyone. Thanks, Goodbye. Yep, also, thanks, go everyone. out and campaign. Don't listen to Paul's. Actually, go out and campaign and do stuff. That's more, way more important. Campaign, be but awesome. Goodbye. See you next time. Goodbye.